This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. This is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today we have Jamie and Doug on from BetterWorks, and our topic today is performance enablement, not, that's capital letters, bold, underline, performance management. So performance enablement, not performance management. I want to do some quick introductions. Jamie, mm-hmm. why don't you introduce yourself first, and Doug, and then Doug, if you'll introduce BetterWorks, that'd be great. Yes. Hi. Thanks, Tim. Uh, my name is Jamie Aiken. I'm the VP of HR Transformation here at BetterWorks, and I've been in the HR space as a practitioner for the last 25 plus years. So thrilled to be joining you to talk about this revolutionary um, uh, approach to performance enablement. I love it. And Doug? And uh, Doug Dunnerline, I'm the CEO here at BetterWorks. Been here for a little over five years now, and also the ex-president of Success Factor. <laughs> So I've been in the business of building HR software for a while. And here at BetterWorks, we're basically trying to rethink, uh, reimagine the performance management process that is 100 years old and invented by the U.S. Army and and universally hated. It doesn't change performance. Uh, and in trying to invent something. We can all agree, right? We can all, it's a divided America, but we can all agree. Yeah. <laughs> the, the irony, William, is that, well, we all agree, 75% of large organizations still do it today. You're kidding. And so what we're trying to do is invent something that actually meets the needs of today's workforce. It's lightweight. It's check-in oriented. It's around, we call it enablement. It's not about looking back at your performance. It's about having conversations about looking forward and talking and get agreement on goal setting with each other and then attainment towards goals. That's what we're focused on. If, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I've done the demo, but if I recruit, you're and have been more employee-centric, a lot of performance management. It's really kind of company-centric, which is fine. No you know, no hate. But I remember at one point looking at y'all's goals and going, no one else does this way because it's basically, it helps the employee set goals. And of course, it's to the betterment of the company and all that other stuff. So I get it, but it's so employee-centric, yeah? It, it is. It's We're trying to move the processes away from being... <clears throat> these old antiquated processes to something that is seen with value in the employee. It's not around compliance, but it's actually, hey, my manager's talking to me about my goals. They understand what I'm frustrated with. We're agreeing on what I'm going to achieve. And then if I achieve it, they understand that I'm getting my job done and, and helping support me to be who I want to be in the organization as I grow as an individual. And so it's very much moving it from this compliance thing in HR to something that actually employees sees a benefit in. So let's just start with enablement over over management. So we titled the show Performance Enablement. So let's go talk about the what we got wrong with performance management, and then it'll set us up to then talk about this next journey that we're going to take with enablement. And Jamie, you go first. Yeah, sure. And sorry, Will, <laughs> William, I called you Tim at the kickoff, so apologies oh, for that. <laughs> it it, it happens, seriously, it ha- and especially when I'm hanging around with Tim Sackett, it happens all the time. So <laughs> I, I just roll with it. I'm like, oh, Tim's a good name. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I think back on the traditional performance management, the idea that 
a manager and their employee would meet twice a year to talk about goals, career development, and then do an assessment at the end of the year is just so wrong in today's environment. The whole idea is that employees expect at this point that they are having constant conversations with their managers, perhaps somebody who's directing a project that they work on, their peers. And so the idea that I can have conversations throughout the year with my manager, at least, and discuss things like what is getting in the way? Like, what are my challenges? How And the manager being in a position to say, what can I do to help support you uh, achieve both professional and personal goals? Um, That's really a critical shift in the way we think about performance management being very hierarchical, very, to to your point earlier, it became, frankly, as a practitioner, it became a check in the box exercise that, let's face it, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh my God, I'm so excited. I'm about to go for my performance appraisal review, right? (laughs) Like it wasn't moving the the needle for the individual or frankly, for the company. So that need, we needed to flip that around. I love it. Doug, anything to add there? What really is this notion of a manager being able to be enabling someone to accomplish something. This backwards looking, giving information about how did you perform doesn't work today. It's getting together. It's discussing what you're going to work on. Are there, are they the right things? And how, as I, as a manager, can I help you accomplish those goals? Or are there roadblocks I can remove? The other thing that's really important in today's world is the pace of change in company strategy and direction because of the rate of pace and competition, you need to potentially change goals in the middle of a quarter. And why wait six months or a year before you focus on the appropriate things? And so I think that's really important to think about today as well. Two things. One, are y'all seeing this more as a, a, and and Jamie, this is probably for you as well, coming up for both of you, but on the transformation side, is it mindset? Is it process? Is it software? What where do you see the change? Obviously, probably so you could say all, which would be fine. But where do they need to change first in, in that if they are transforming, hopefully they are, what is it that they have to change? All three <laughs> It would be the quick answer. Yes. <laughs> and we've been talking about continuous performance management for a few years now in HR. And I think where we got stuck was the notion that we would sit in a room with other HR practitioners, develop a, a beautiful new process, and then just throw it over the fence to the rest of the organization without any kind of enablement or support. Right. And what I mean by that, and not just from a how do I do this now? Because that is clearly part of it. I think we have left uh, frontline managers uh, and people managers with a bit of a gap because we expect them to magically become adept at this particular skill of giving feedback and having difficult conversations and being a talent developer. But we really, we came up short in uh, being able to provide them that kind of support. But there's also a change management aspect when that gets to the behavioral piece. Because if somebody hasn't had a lot of exposure or the ability to build competence over time around coaching and giving feedback and helping folks through their achievement of goals and goal setting and all of those pieces. If, if they haven't had the, the competency to do that, they're not going to be as eager or they will feel awkward in doing it. So we, we need to have a, a mixture of both. And then I'll let Doug talk specifically to the technology as well, right. but obviously I'll leave it there. Yeah. Well, 
For me, William, it's really around change management. As I said, 75% of large organizations still do it the old way. And, and the reason they do is because getting to the new way is difficult. And it right. takes courage for an HR leader to stand up to an organization and say, the processes we're using today are not going to get us where we need to be in three years to be competitive in the marketplace. People aren't going to come work for us if we're still doing these old antiquated processes they're going to want to go places that have invested in employee development and are talking to you know their employees on a regular basis and helping enable them to be better at what they do. And so for me, we I, I you know shamelessly I'm bringing up the book, but the whole idea of what we wrote about with the book is it's a roadmap from getting from where you are to where you need to be. <clears throat> and then ultimately, we have built an application that helps you, guide you through that change management process. But it is. You know, it's a year-long process to get someone from this annual thing to something that's quarterly with mid-quarter check-ins. And it's new to the employees. It's new to the management. It's new to the managers. And it takes bravery. But boy, what we have seen for the companies that make it through that, the changes in engagement scores go up double digits. Confidence mm-hmm. in leadership goes up double digits. Understanding the business and what they're trying to accomplish goes up in double digits as a profound change in the ultimate outcome is companies perform better. It's interesting because you've had the success factors experience and, and then this is obviously a better better widget, but I wouldn't say that to them. One of the engagements, I did some consulting with a company called Bombardier in, in Canada. And Doug, I don't know if you were at Success Factors at the time, but basically they bought success factors a year in advance. So their OD. Uh, William, you know what? You're going to be very surprised. You know who bought that software from me? No. Her, her name is Jamie Aiken. She's on the Hi. phone. You're kidding. <laughs> Hi, <No>. William. <laughs> so, I hired her out of Bombardier for that, that was, reason alone. That was such a genius. First of all, the idea was genius. The execution. I worked with AppLearn at the time. So it, we did a bunch of yeah. stuff around getting the technology adopted, et cetera. <laughs> and that was just a genius process. And I tell people that story because it's like, the change management, just from going from Microsoft Excel to something something better than that, there's still a whole lot of change, communication, education, training, all this stuff. And to to date, that's the best story that I've ever heard of someone wow. technology. That, uh, that is so good to hear. Mike. I had no idea that y'all both did that. <laughs> so, so it's a small world, but I had no idea because it's just it's just a great first of all, it was the uptick was there wasn't a shock at all. It wasn't like, oh my God, what are we doing? It was, there was a whole lot of communication. There was a whole lot of training. It was just a wonderfully executed project. William, what I, the wild experience here is that I, I witnessed that and I got to know Jamie, who was the head of global development for Bombardier at the time. Oh, wow. And I said, I'm so amazed with you and what you've accomplished here. Would you come to work for me <laughs> and be my VP of HR innovation and change and help under, help other organizations, not as a salesperson, but as a practitioner, show them what the benefit of right. going through this massive right. process change is and what and it'll be okay and we'll be there to support you. And guess what? You're going to be not the goat. You're going to be the hero and a goat in a bad way, not a goat in a good way. Yeah, what's interesting is vendors have tons of knowledge around implementations and what works, what does it, and all that stuff. And practitioners, we don't leverage that experience enough to to basically you are sitting on hundreds, if not thousands, of implementations. And and I think sometimes HR they they promote battlefield promote they promote somebody internal, 
and then go, they have a job and then they have to project management and implementation. On the side of their desk. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay, uh, here's a pathway to failure. Then it looks <laughs> like this, but that's fascinating. Thank you all for telling me that story. That's I, I still, I'm searching for a better implementation story and I haven't found it yet. Wow, you um, just made my week. <laughs> well, <laughs> It is really important. The change aspect is incredibly important to pay attention to and to do thoroughly because otherwise you cannot sustain a transformation. You may go live and have fireworks and a celebratory cake, but if you really want a shift in the culture and in the behaviors, you need to be planning that thoroughly and not just for go live. It it is a plan that extends well beyond go live with the technology because the technology will get you so far, but in order for sustainment, and I think that's why both Doug and I are pretty passionate about how important change management is. Oh yeah. And it's like you said, go live is a, an inflection point. It's wonderful that we have some type of shared goal that we navigate towards, but past that is, okay, you have new employees that start again, six months from now. Now what? How are you going to train them? How are you going to onboard all that stuff? We can have a different show about that, but (laughs) I I definitely wanted to make sure the audience understands the difference, the, what y'all see as the major difference between management and enablement. And Doug, let's bubble that up real quick. Just like philosophy or philosophically, excuse me. How do you convey that to customers and prospects? Yeah, and again, it's this notion of of moving the processes away from HR and building them such they're creating conversations between manager and employee, and then it's manager being able to enable the employee in a meaningful way. And William, the other thing that we're spending an immense amount of time on as an organization is the one, probably the worst spot that large organizations don't invest in the way that they should is in first-line management. Oh, my and, goodness. And we, Couldn't agree we more. throw them out on their own. You yeah. Know, it, okay, you were that t- yesterday and you're this today and see you later. Well, we've uh, all seen uh, it in sales in particular. You're great at sales. Fantastic. Janet, you're, you're now head of sales. It's- what are you doing differently than you did yesterday? Oh, nothing. <laughs> you're not a manager. But with the, the AI is real. And it is going to be profoundly impactful to HR and all the processes around HR starting, you know, cradle to grave. But boy, we're spending a lot of time looking for insights in our data that we give inflection point notifications to managers saying, you need to talk to Susie about. Oh, that's cool. Or you haven't done this in four days with Bob and you should reach out and do this and really give them insights on how to lead. And I think it's a game changer. Do y'all see, and, and, and there, if there's nothing there, there's nothing there, but like the younger generations, or just say talent as it is today, we'll just say it the, the, that way. Do they need something different? Because we're talking about enablement, we're talking more about internal mobility, talking about training, all these other things. Are they coming to the table, table stakes, expecting certain things? We're trying to drive that change. Uh, again, I point out to people, when you're in an interview, interview process, why not ask the question around when they say at the end of an interview, you have any questions for me? You can say, how are you going to develop me? Yeah. What, are the, what are the processes you use to make me successful? And, and we don't ask that today. And I, and I think, uh, again, smart millennials, Gen Z, X are coming out and they're much more demanding of what they want out of an employer than they have ever been historically. 
And Jamie, did you have a, anything to add? Uh, I just remember I've got a, a smile on my face because I remember I had a team teammate who, after a particular presentation, I gave him some feedback and he came back into my office two minutes later and said, I'd like to give you feedback on the quality of your feedback. So, I, well, that's I mean, meta. I think, okay, okay, all right. So I would honestly think there is an expectation for a lot more communication, a lot more transparency, 100%. and driving towards better connection between people at work than there ever has been before. If you're going to give, you should be able to receive. It's funny oh, because 100 years ago, I built this two by two that basically feedback comes as either solicited or unsolicited, either positive or negative. And just because I'm an odd duck, I like I like solicited negative feedback. So I'll reach out to the people yeah. that I read, I respect, etc., and then I'll ask them, okay, what did I do wrong? Like, just go ahead and don't tell me what I did right. I already know what I did right. Tell me what I did wrong. And yeah. I get that. But like when somebody gives me unsolicited feedback, it really literally goes in one ear and out the other. <laughs> and there's also this notion that is popping up a lot now, which is the notion of feed forward, right? So it's not just about what can I learn from oh, cool. maybe challenges or wins from the past period of time, but also really starting to get people focused as well on and what can we be doing going forward to get you to the next piece of your or next chapter in your career or the like next that. project, right? I think we're getting a lot more fluid about it, which I think is is, is just going to be more beneficial. But I hear you, nobody wants to get unsolicited negative <laughs> feedback. And if you think about the way performance management used to be constructed, or oh, the yeah. traditional oh, yeah. way, That's all it was. Yeah. yeah. You knew the date you were going to get. Unsolicited. <laughs> <laughs> this is the date of execution. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. It's funny because when I, again, giving and asking for feedback, I advise a lot of startups, a lot of founders and CEOs. And so when they show me like an investment deck or some bit, I'll ask them, how do you like your feedback? Because <laughs> what I'm really trying to open up is, do you just want me to tell you like the things I liked? Cool. You want me to, I, that's fine. And it's interesting because most of them will say unvarnished, William, that's why you're here. Just say what you've got to say. Okay. You might want to hit record <laughs> <laughs> and I'll go off. Y'all, I got to ask you about your book because I've written a couple books and they're not easy. There's always an undertaking. So what's the book title and why'd you do it? <laughs> Out of all the things that you could have done, <laughs> why'd you decide to write a book? Doug, take us into it. Now, the name of the book is called Make Work Better, Revolutionizing How Great Bosses Lead, Give Feedback, and Empower Employees. And it dawned on me that I've had an interesting career as well, William. I was a sales leader in the networking industry. I, I was actually an early employee at Cisco Systems. I grew to have a team of 6,000 there. Oh, wow. And we used all those traditional performance processes oh, around yeah. calibration and nine block. And Did you pip? Elder. You had personal improvement plans? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all of that. And then now having been on the other side as a CEO, building software for HR, I had this perspective of understanding why people hate it. And so I asked Jamie to write this book with me because I'm looking at it through the eyes of the CEO who right. I think candidly gets the power of when HR and an informed CEO about knowing how important people are to their company and the processes people live in. And I look at it through the CEO's eyes and I've asked Jamie to look at it through the HR leader's side. 
and show the power of when those two people understand the power they have together is very meaningful. And the book's all about giving you a roadmap on making this transformation to something that meets the needs of, of, of what happens in today in a large organization around performance. Yeah, so, and in the book, we specifically spell out what should you as an HR leader be looking for in an organization? And also from a CEO perspective, what should you be looking out for as a, for your HR partner? Uh, because I think it's really important. Doug referenced in the job interview process with an employee, but I would say, and we mentioned this in the book, as an HR leader, if you find that as a CHRO, you're going to be reporting into the CFO, mm-hmm. keep walking. Yeah. Because it, it's very telling to or see operations. how. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's what I love about what, you, what y'all are talking about is there are very few HR tech, work tech plays, if you will, that are actually great at HR. You could probably on 10 fingers, you could probably count them. And it's horrifying to me because I speak to HR every day and I'm like, there's suppliers, there's vendors, partners, et cetera, and they're not great at HR. (laughs) You'd at least want them to be good at the one thing they're trying to get you to be good at. Yeah, that William, that that is really true. And, but what I'm, what I look for in a, in a, in a good or bad news when I was at Cisco, I was there for almost 12 years. I I always got the new HR business partner they hired from the outside and I, they would break them in on me and my sales team. And <laughs> I, I saw them, I saw good ones and I saw poor ones. And what I loved about a good one was they they weren't just tactical HR trying to get us not being sued and right. you know, making sure we had our 15% and our 70%. And they were like, Doug, we, we, here's where we need to be in three years as an organization and the skills that people need to have. And by the way, these two people on your team are not going to get you there. And most of them want to be that way. The irony is you do have a segment of the population, the HR population that loves compliance. They just want to do payroll benefits. They love that stuff, the the plumbing of HR. And it's great. But there are some of them that just can't get to the strategic because all that tactical stuff is in their way. That's right. Or they're not the CEO or the doesn't respect the function. Right, 100%. When when it's done well, oh my gosh, it's, it's probably your most important relationship on your leadership team as a CEO in a company today and not your CFO, not your GC. It's somebody that's going to have an impact on the direction, the people, the skills that you're needed, that you need to get where you're trying to go. And the book, when did you, when did, uh, when did you publish? May 23rd. Is that right, Jamie? Something like yeah. that. Goodness. This is fresh about a month ago. And so how are you promoting it? What are you going to do? Are you going to drop ship it to folks? Are you sending, give it to all your salespeople? Like what's the, what do you, now that you've got it, it's going to be on Amazon. I, I know all that, but what are you going to do with the book? No, we've got plenty of books that we can hand to customers that, that want to learn how we feel as an organization and why we are who we are and what we're, where we're going and what we're building. Yeah. And a roadmap on just knowing how to get there without even using better works. It's a, it's a tell for Doug. What's interesting is they, if they don't want to read that book, that's probably not a good prospect for you. Mm. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're too busy or if you just don't think the change whatever you can't hit you don't want to read that book mm, yeah we probably shouldn't talk all right exactly william too funny it's we all, point, too, all these part of the problem is that 
half the time we get HR people that come to us saying, I want to build my process in your application. And I'm like, don't bother. Again, <laughs> what you want to, what you want to do is learn short meeting. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> uh, one of those where you're like, Hey, let's get 35 minutes back in our day. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Y'all, I could talk to you forever. And again, congratulations on the wonderful work that you did at Bombardier. I didn't know that. I'm so glad to know it. Now I know who is behind it, which is fantastic. And thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. And thanks for everyone listening. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at recruitingdaily.com.